And Father, we pray over the rest of this service. We pray that all the things that we would say and do throughout the rest of the service would be a pleasant offering to you. And especially now as we come to your word. Father, we pray that as we come to your word, that you would bless our time in your word and that you would speak to us and that you'd speak powerfully and clearly to us. That anything that may be in our hearts and minds that may distract us from hearing you, Lord, we pray that you would remove that from us and then speak in a way that that cuts to our heart and that we would leave changed because of what you have to say. So, Father, we pray now that you would open our ears to hear our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. So like I mentioned already, we're going to kind of slowly work our way through Isaiah 53 through Lent. And so if, uh, if you all want to open your Bibles up to Isaiah 53, we're going to look at the first three verses this morning. And like I mentioned already, it's important to remember this was written by Isaiah, who was a prophet, and it was written 700 years before Christ was born, prophesying to the Jews of the Messiah that would come. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Well, throughout my years in youth ministry, I had a lot of college groups who would call me and request to come in and and do ministry with the teenagers in our group. And one of those groups um, I remember very clearly um, because it was painful. (laughs) They, They came and they were really unprepared. They didn't really know what they were going to do. They were kind of just flying by the seat of their pants. They didn't know what they were going to say. Um when they did kind of figure out what they wanted to say, they struggled to say it. Um, Some of them were trying really hard to be passionate, but it just kind of came across as being manufactured. And and I kind of remember cringing throughout most of it. And then they ended, and there was absolute and complete silence throughout the entire group. And I saw teenagers weeping all over throughout the group because God had spoken powerfully through them, through this mess. I mean, it was a mess. And God spoke through that and cut to the heart of these teenagers and they were reminded of what Christ had done for them. And it has stuck with me throughout the years that God has this way and this tendency about him to use the overlooked and the underestimated for his glory. All over the place. You start in Genesis and read all the way through to Revelation, you see that that happens over and over and over again. In particular, I was thinking this week about when, when Israel wanted a king. They wanted a king so they could be like all the rest of the nations. And so they looked around and they saw Saul. 
They said, ha, this guy, he's our king. He's big. He's bigger than anybody else. He's like the tallest guy in the land, and he's big, and he's strong. He's good-looking, just kind of looks like a natural-born leader. We're going to make him our king. And that didn't work out very well, did it? And yet we had David, young, scrawny, shepherd boy, kind of pushed off on the sides. And despite his faults, he was not a perfect man. He he grew up to be a great king. Because God has this habit, this tendency to take people who are overlooked and underestimated and to use them for his glory. And yet, especially in in our culture, I can't say this in in other cultures, but I could say, I know in, in our culture, we don't really like that. We really don't like people to look down on us. We don't like it if someone looks at us and, you know, acts like we're weak or helpless, or we really don't want to be overlooked and underestimated. And it kind of makes us, so we, so we start to put on a show. We want everybody to think, no, I'm, I'm powerful. I'm, I'm a big deal. I'm really important. I'm not weak. And no, look up to me. Don't look down on me. And we kind of put on a show because we don't like it. And, and I was thinking, we, we even tend to do this in the church quite a bit. I mean, nobody wants someone to come into a church and go, meh. Right? I mean, we don't want someone to come into a church and think, man, this is just some small, weenie church. They got nothing going on. It's just this weak church. Nobody wants that. And so churches, not just our church, but any church throughout our culture, we have this temptation to try to put on a show, to try to look powerful and prestigious and flashy and beautiful. We have a temptation to try to do all of these things so that people don't look down on us or so that we're not overlooked or underestimated. And yet, God has a tendency to use the overlooked and the underestimated for his glory. That's why the Jews had a hard time receiving Jesus as the Messiah. I mean, here's the description that Isaiah gives as he's prophesying about the Messiah He says, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So the Messiah is going to come and he's not going to be beautiful. He's not going to be majestic or powerful. He's not going to look like Saul. People aren't going to look at the Messiah and go, ooh, ah, He's going to be a plain Jane, boring looking guy. And so nobody's going to believe that he is who he said he was. That they couldn't believe that the Messiah is going to come into the world and people are going to look at him and go, meh. That can't be the Messiah. He's got to be this powerful guy. He's, got to, he's going to come in and rescue us from the Romans. He's like our superhero, like, like Superman. He's got to be big, tall, commanding, you know, ripped. He's going to have to get our attention because he's going to save us. And when they saw Jesus, they said, I don't see that. They actually said when, when they saw, saw Jesus, they saw him as nothing. Nothing. It says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And when it says we esteemed him not, it's using like accounting language. 
saying they, they looked at Jesus, they calculated up his value, and it was zero. They, said he, they saw Jesus, and he was a, a nothing, a zero. And so they despised him, and they rejected him. And it says they, they hid their faces from him, not because they were ashamed of him, but they hid their faces from him as a way of saying, you're not even worth giving my time. So we're not even going to you know, talk to the hand, right? We don't want to have anything to do with you. You're not worth my time because you are a nothing. And so Isaiah cries out, who has believed our message? And this is a rhetorical question saying, nobody has believed what he's had to say. And I mean, Isaiah is just distraught within himself because he's preaching this to the people, the people of God, and he's saying it over and over and over again, and nobody believes him. I mean, 700 years before Jesus, he's saying, guys, the Messiah is coming, and this is who he's going to be. And they said, no way, not going to be the Messiah. We're not okay with that. The Messiah has got to be this big, strong, powerful guy, and you're saying he's going to be plain Jane, he's not going to be beautiful, he's going to be weak, despised, rejected, no way. They wanted a Messiah that they had created in their own image. And Isaiah is telling them, this is the Messiah God is going to send. And they refused to believe in him. And the same thing was true when Jesus came to the earth. In, in the Gospel of John, it says, when he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isn't that amazing? The Son of God was standing right in their presence. The Messiah, who had been prophesied for thousands of years, is standing right in front of them. And they said, nope, we're not going to believe in you. You're not who we think you should be. You're not who we want. We want somebody big and powerful, and you're just you. So they refused to believe in him. And then even after Jesus died and rose from the dead, same story. In, in Romans, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans after he had been in ministry for 25 years. Right? So Paul had been around the block for a while. He'd been preaching the gospel for a while. And he's talking about the importance of preaching the gospel. And he says, how can they preach unless they're sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, who has believed our message? Paul knows this. He's, he's been around the block a time or two. He's gone from city to city to city, from marketplace to marketplace to marketplace, preaching the gospel, telling them about Jesus as the Messiah. And people still refuse. He said it's the same thing that was happening 700, 800 years ago, they're refusing to believe in the prophecy. And now that Jesus has come, they're still refusing to believe in it. They, they look at Jesus and they think he looks like some homeless beggar who's walking around and has nothing better to do than just to talk to people about stuff. He's not beautiful, he's not majestic, and he's got no power. We want nothing to do with him. And is it true? Does he have no power? Isaiah uses this 
this language that we're maybe not quite familiar with. In, in this first verse, he uses two, he asks two questions. Both of them are rhetorical, so he's kind of assuming the answer. He says, the first one is, who has believed our message? Saying that nobody has believed our message. And the second question is, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Saying, like, the arm of the Lord has been revealed to these people and they refuse to believe in him. What kind of people are these people that they would refuse that? But the question comes, what is the arm of the Lord? And, and there's, there's a lot of, it's, it's referenced all over throughout the Old Testament. It comes up all over. You'll see the arm of the Lord, the arm of the Lord. And so we're just going to look at one passage this morning um, from the previous chapter of Isaiah because I think it just gives us a really comprehensive view of what the arm of the Lord means. So Isaiah 52 says, that The Lord will lay bare His holy arm, in the sight of the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. All right, so get the picture of what's happening here. The Lord's going to lay bare His holy arm in front of the nations, and they will see His salvation. I mean, it's a picture, I mean, I don't, whoever you want to picture, picture Arnold Schwarzenegger or something, standing up there, rolling, laying bare his arm. He's rolling his, this is not going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? But rolling his sleeve back, flexing his muscles in front of the nations and showing them how strong he is. That's the picture. And it says, that's what our God is doing. He's, he's flexing his arm in front of the nations, showing them his strength and his power and his might to save his people. And so anytime you, anytime you see the arm of the Lord, it's always referencing the Lord's power and might to bring about salvation. And then, isn't that powerful? That Then Isaiah takes that and he says, now the arm of the Lord is going to be revealed. Up until this point, it's been this kind of invisible presence parting the waters and kind of invisible presence behind the scenes saving God's people. But now, God's power and might for salvation, now it's going to be revealed to the people. It, the, God's powerful arm is going to take on flesh and come to this earth in Christ. God's power to bring salvation. And yet when the power of God takes on flesh and comes to this earth, it has no beauty or majesty, nothing that people would be drawn to. It kind of just sneaks in under everybody's radar. Jesus was the power of God made manifest to people for salvation, and yet they looked at Him and said, Meh. they despised Him. They rejected him. It wasn't that they just thought, ah, he's not a big deal. They, they actually despised him and rejected him because they could not believe that the power of God would look like that. No way. The power of God has to be something else. And yet God has a way of using the overlooked and the underestimated for his glory. And God has this way of revealing his power in unexpected people and in unexpected places. And one of the most humbling passages probably in the Bible um, is in 1 Corinthians. It's the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. This is his congregation, and this is Pastor Paul speaking to his church. Um, <laughs> words, brothers, 
Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. And not many of you were of noble birth. All right? So here's Apostle Paul talking to his congregation and saying, All right, now think back to when you became a Christian. Think back to when you joined the church. Were you a big deal? No. Not many of you were very smart. You didn't have any power. You weren't very influential in the world. You know, you look out or he looks all around his church and says, Man, it's kind of a ragtag bunch. Kind of like the the story said, we kind of look like the disciples. They weren't a real powerful, influential group either. Kind of a ragtag bunch of people. That that the, the description of the church is a gathering of people who are overlooked and underestimated. No beauty, no majesty, no power, despised and rejected by the world, considered nothing. That's us. And that's who we're described as because that's who our Savior is described as. And it's always a helpful reminder. We don't like to say that this is us. (laughs) Um, But it's a helpful reminder that we're not as big a deal as we think we are. And we're not as important as we think we are. And our Savior wasn't either. Everyone saw Jesus and looked right past him as being not much of a big deal and maybe even pathetic looking. But Paul goes on and says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one would boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us our wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. God has a way of using the overlooked and the underestimated for his glory. He has a way of using weak people to shame strong people. He has a way of using foolish people to bring shame on people who think they are wise in the world. He has a way of using despised and rejected people, people considered nothing in the eyes of the world. And he uses them to bring the world around them to nothing. And he does it. So that when we boast, we boast in Him, not in ourselves. When, when God comes in and does something powerful in our lives or in our family or in our church or in our community or in the world, we have to realize that we couldn't have done it. I mean, look at us. There's no way we could do this. But God can do it. And so then we give Him the glory and we give Him the honor. I mean, if God gathered the rich and the powerful and the influential of the world and then they did something in the world, they would be really tempted to go around and say, look at what we did. Look at how we used our wealth and our power and our influence in the world. We did this. We did this. And yet when we realize that we're just a rowdy bunch of weak, despised, rejected, overlooked, underestimated people... And then we realize that God is using us to bring about change in our lives and our families and our churches and in the community. Then we praise and glorify God because we know that it's only through Him 
that we could do this. It's only through Him that any of this could ever happen. Through Him and His power to bring about salvation. Because we're not any better than our Master. We're not greater than our Master. Jesus was not outwardly beautiful or majestic or powerful. And we don't need to be either. And Jesus was despised and rejected and considered nothing. And the reality is, we will be too. Yet underneath all of that lay the power of God. And we can experience the power of God too. As as we faithfully live out our Christian lives in the world, that may seem boring, not majestic, not beautiful on the outside. They may seem just boring and mundane, but but we live out this faithful lives in the world and the power of God flows through that faithfulness and brings the world to nothing. And people see that and they won't praise you for it because you didn't do it. They will see that and then they will praise and glorify our Father in heaven. It will be like Nehemiah. After they finished the wall, it says, When all the enemies heard of this work that they had done, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. And may it be so with us and our lives and our church. Let's pray. Lord, we come and we ask that you continue to open our eyes to see the reality of who you are and the reality of how you work in this world. Father, we confess that we often get caught up in trying to find power and prestige and wealth and beauty. We try to grab hold of these things and yet we need to look to you as the only one able to work in our lives and as the only one who can work in and through us in the world. So, Father, forgive us for trying to do things on our own and in our own strength. Forgive us for trying to take credit for the work that you've done. And then, Father, empower us and and send us out into the world as overlooked and underestimated, as despised and rejected people, but with your power working in and through us to bring salvation. Father, use us in the world. And may you receive all the glory and all the honor for the work that is done. And all God's people said, Amen.